us in You, in Your Spirit, and in Your Word to hear from You that, God, You, Lord, would remind us Your faithfulness has no end. Your kindness is inexhaustible. You, Lord, are eternal. And so, Father, help us. Draw us. May we see You clearly this morning. We thank You and ask all these things. In the name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen. And church family, let me invite you to take God's Word and join me again in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 this morning, verses 31 to 34. Matthew 6, verses 31 to 34, the very end now of chapter 6. Just by way of reminder, next Sunday, first Sunday of Advent, we'll pause uh, the Matthew series. We'll, I'm going to preach a, a, just a series on Advent, the aspects of Advent on New Year's Eve, the 31st. Uh, a sermon reminding us of the great love of God from Ephesians chapter 3, and then Lord willing, beginning of the year, we'll hop back into Matthew chapter 7. Last Sunday, in verses 25 to 30 of chapter 6, we looked at what we called the cause of worry. And I think actually what we find in that is that the reality is that there are often many causes of worry, but I think the text for us that we saw together last week sort of boils some things down for us where we can begin to kind of get our hands on what is it that causes the worry, the anxiety within my soul. And so in verse 25, we saw that worry is the result of forgetting what is most important. Uh, forgetting that what's most important is not merely food, water, and clothing. That there is more to life than that. Secondly, in verses 26 to 29, we saw together that worry is the result of forgetting the care of your heavenly Father. When we forget that God cares more about us than even the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, then we will begin to worry. And then thirdly, we saw in verse 30 that worry is the result of doubting God. Jesus reminds us that when we worry, that is a result of little faith. Of not believing and trusting that God is, as we just talked about, good and loving forever. That He is inexhaustible in His mercies and in His faithfulness. So if last week then was looking at verses 25 to 30, what is the cause of worry, then today in verses 31 to 34, I want us to try to see together what's the cure for it. If worry, as we said last week, is sort of the the condition that is common to all humanity, that everybody at some point is worrying about something, then what's the cure for that? Is there a cure for that? Sometimes I think we get so deeply rooted in our worry and in our anxiety, we become so gripped by it that we lose sight of the reality that the Bible actually instructs us on how to deal with our worry. And so we want to see from the text this morning that when difficult moments come, when stressful moments come, when perplexing moments that seemingly have no answer, when those moments come, and when they bring with them their baggage of worry, anxiety, and care, how can we not forget what's most important? How can we not forget the care of our Heavenly Father? 
how can we trust God? Is there a biblically prescribed cure for our worry and anxiety? If you've ever wondered that question, then you've come to the right place in God's Word. Look at the text with me. Matthew 6, starting in verse 31. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I want to look this morning from the text, one in each verse, four different cures, if you will, four different cures for my, for your, for our worry. The first one in verse 31 is this, I want us to see that verse 31 is calling us to trust the what-ifs, to trust those to God, to trust those what-ifs to God. Look at verse 31 again, do not worry then, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing. Verse 31, I think as you can see, is serving as a summary of everything that Jesus previously said in verses 25 to 30. So just letting your eyes kind of flow back up again, he's calling you in verse 25 not to be worried about what you're going to eat. Not to be worried about what you're going to drink. Then down in, uh, in verse 28, not to be worried about your clothing. And again, we said this last week, but just as a reminder, Jesus is not diminishing the reality that we have needs. Jesus understands that. Again, fully God, fully man, and as a man who has come in human flesh, he understands the need of, if I don't have food, if I don't have water, if I don't have the necessities of life, I'm not going to survive. So he's not diminishing the reality of need, he's just emphasizing now the reality of not worrying about those needs in verse 31 as he is summarizing what he has previously said he again gives a command do not worry but i want you to notice here with me that there is a slight difference in what jesus is saying compared to what he said back up in verse 25 jesus says here in verse 31 do not worry then so again it's an imperative it's a command, but here's the slight difference. The slight difference in verse 31 is that do not worry is being written and presented to us in a particular mood of the Greek language, and that particular mood of the Greek language is a mood that refers to contingencies. It's a mood that, or a way of writing or speaking that refers to possibilities. It refers to what ifs. It refers to hypotheticals. 
I mentioned last Sunday, if you were with us, that often one of the things that worry does in our hearts is that it causes us to stay up late at night, pacing the floor, and in our mind, we're doing what? We're working through all the possible scenarios of that problem, that circumstance, issue, relationship, whatever it is, we start working through all those possibilities, right? If they say this, I'm going to say that. If they do this, I'm going to do that. If the situation zigs, I'm going to zag and I am going to have an answer for every possibility that might exist out there. And so you lay awake at night, you pace the floor, you daydream throughout the day with that kind of worry being gripped by all the scenarios, all the possibilities, all the contingencies. And what Jesus is saying in verse 31 here is, don't do that. Do not worry, and do not let your worry turn into all the potential possibilities that might exist. Don't dream up, he is saying, all the possible contingencies. Don't work through all the hypotheticals. Leave the what-ifs, if you will. Leave those to God. Leave those to God. Replaying scenarios, walking through hypotheticals. Beloved, ultimately that's an act of trusting in self. It's an act of I've got to figure out the right response to whatever is going on. And when we do that, we're not trusting in the Lord in that moment. We are trusting in ourself and our own wisdom, not in God and His wisdom. And listen, We'll just be honest and, and, and own the reality that with any given situation, there are potentially many different things that can happen. There are at least some of those things that would be bad, that would be hurtful, that would be sad. That, that's a reality. Jesus is saying in this moment of verse 31 don't worry, though, about that seemingly infinite number of possibilities. Because the reality is, there is only one thing that's going to happen to you. And that one thing is going to come to you through the hand of a sovereign God. And you and I, we don't know what that one thing, that one outcome is. So don't trust then in your working through the hypotheticals. Don't trust in your answer to all the possibilities. Don't trust in your contingency plans. Trust the what-ifs. What if the money runs out? What if there's not enough? Fill in the blank. What if they do this to me or say this to me? Don't worry about those things and trust the what-ifs to God. Let's keep building on that though. Secondly, 
the cure for our worry is that we want to trust God's omniscience. We want to trust God's omniscience. That word omniscience, the prefix omni meaning all, and the suffix of that, which was like science, knowledge, or knowing. So then, when we talk about God being omniscient, we are referring to the fact that God, in His perfect, infinite wisdom, knows all things, and He knows all possibilities of all the things. God has no limits to anything about Him. And in here, this particular moment, God has no limits to His knowledge. God knows and has known all things perfectly well before the foundation of the world. And so then the call of verse 32, I think, is for us to trust in God's omniscience. Look at verse 32. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He begins verse 32 with the word for. And that word for is pointing you back to what he just said in verse 31. In verse 31, don't worry about food, don't worry about drink, don't worry about clothing, don't worry about possibilities, don't worry about what ifs for verse 32 because here's why. And he tells us two things in verse 32. Number one, don't worry because it's the Gentiles who eagerly seek all these things. If you are a child of God, in the room, then what God is clearly calling you to in His Word is to not be like the unbelieving Gentiles. When Jesus says Gentile in verse 32, He does not merely mean a non-Jew, but He is referring to unbelievers. He is referring to those who do not know God. They do not trust in God. They do not lean upon God. They have no capacity in their unborn state, their spiritually unborn state. They have no capacity to lean upon God believing that He will meet all of their needs. And so what do they do then in verse 32? The text says they eagerly seek all these things. This is an ongoing, constant toil that these unbelieving Gentiles are engaged in. They eagerly seek. They wear themselves out seeking the things of the world. They wear themselves out with the pursuit of more. They do not trust in God to provide. And so the only alternative that they have in their unbelieving state is to trust in themselves and in their ability to provide. They wear themselves out in the unrelenting pursuit of seeking the world's goods. And they eagerly seek to alleviate this crushing demand of providing for themselves and their families. It is a vicious, vicious cycle. And as a result, they don't rest. They can't rest. If it all depends on you, then you can't ever rest. 
You can't ever breathe. You can't ever take a break. You can't ever let off the pedal. You got to be going, blazing a trail, eagerly working for, seeking, toiling to attain. Now, look, we said this last Sunday, just as a reminder again this passage on not worrying is not Jesus saying it's okay to be idle. It's okay to be lazy. It's okay to kind of sit back in your spiritual lazy boy and just kind of let it all come to you. No. We know from the totality of Scripture that we're called to work, we're called to labor, we're called to provide. However, when you labor, when you work, when you provide, do so knowing what? That it's God and not you who is ultimately providing. Work without worry. Don't be like the Gentiles, the unbelievers, who have no capacity, no ability to trust God. They can only trust in themselves. But then secondly, in verse 32, Jesus says what? Don't worry because of what? Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Notice again, we've seen this multiple times in this text, notice again the use of your heavenly Father. And just let that kind of wash over you again for a second. Your, not just there, not just other people, but if you are in Christ, He's your heavenly Father. In that He is our heavenly Father means that He is good. It means that He is holy. It means that He is eternal. It means that He is unending. It means that all the resources that are available are His. That He is our Father means that He is good and He is kind and He is compassionate and He comes near. He draws near to His people, particularly in their time of need. Particularly in their time of trouble so don't worry why because your heavenly father what about him he knows he knows that you need all these things he knows better than you and i know he knows that we have to have food and water and clothing and shelter and the necessities of life it's not merely that god just says hey i want you to be holy and, 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 and righteous, and, and that's, that's all that matters. It might be the most important thing, but the reality is we got to eat. we got to have food. we got to have the needs of life, and God knows this about us. Do you remember what Jesus said earlier in chapter 6, right there at the beginning of the model prayer, when He said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8 that God knows what we need when? Before we even ask Him. Guys, God is way down the road. God God absolutely, positively knows what we need. And church, there is no amount of worrying that you and I can do that is going to help God understand more how much we need Him. Or how much we need these things. There is no amount of pacing the floor. 
There is no amount of working through hypotheticals that's going to catch God's attention where he's going to say, oh, they, they've got some real needs. I, I, I probably need to do something about this. God is never caught unaware. God never learns anything. You don't have to teach omniscience anything. God knows your need. Like a good father, like a, even a good earthly father, who in his years of, of living and some gained wisdom is able to anticipate the needs of his children, how much more so our eternal, infinite, omniscient, heavenly Father, how much more is He able to anticipate and even knows our need and is able to provide? God does not worry, nor is He manipulated by worry. And so don't think that you've got to fret and pace to get God's attention. God sees you. God knew that you were going to have the need that you have today before the foundation of the world. And God has already ordained before the foundation of the world the provision for whatever your need is. Friends, if we wake up tomorrow morning and there is no food anywhere on the planet, all the water has dried up, and there is no money in the bank account. If that's how we wake up tomorrow morning, God is still not going to be worried. And if that's how we wake up tomorrow morning, God is still going to know how to provide. God is still going to know where to get you food and water from. And God is going to know how to bring it to you. Read the Bible. God makes bread come from heaven, water come from a rock, the ravens bring uh, food to Elijah, an angel shows up with food. God can do it, y'all. And He knows. So trust in God's omniscience. Worry is the inevitable result of trying and trusting our own wisdom and our own know-how. And then here's what inevitably happens. The moment's going to come where we realize I can't, I can't provide. I, 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 don't, I don't know where to go to get my needs met. But if we've been trusting in self, we're going to be crushed by worry in that moment. So, don't do that. Trust in that God is omniscient. and He knows what you need even before you ask Him. Trust that God knows more than you. Trust God that He knows better than you. Thirdly, trust God to do His part. Trust God to do His part. Verse 33, maybe the most well-known verse in this whole section. But, so here's a contrast Instead of worrying like the Gentiles, do this. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Instead of worry, do what? Seek. This is not a one-time 
seeking. This is not a one-time kind of glance around the room, see if I can find anything here. This is an ongoing. It is a continual, constant seeking. Uh, One commentator said it this way, it is a strenuous, persevering effort to obtain. It's, it's not a seeking that gives up easily. It's not a seeking that stops at the first difficult moment of resisting. It keeps going. And, and, and listen, sometimes that seeking may be little, it, it may be faint, but the call of verse 33 is keep on seeking. The Gentiles are doing it in verse 32, Jesus says. They're eagerly seeking We don't get off the hook in seeking. It's just that we seek something different. And in verse 33, we're called to seek what? A couple things. Both of them very similar in nature. Number one, we're called to continually seek. And we're to do it first. Of primary importance. A first place, we are to seek His kingdom. We're to seek God's kingdom kingdom what is what is that what does that mean to seek the kingdom of god what is the kingdom of god it's a topic of much consideration throughout matthew's gospel it's uh, one of the key themes of his gospel account that jesus is the long-awaited messiah and that he is king over his eternal kingdom there'll be almost a whole chapter chapter 13 dedicated to parables of the kingdom but for our purposes here the kingdom of God is the eternal rule and reign of God over all his creation it's the eternal rule and reign of God over all his creation the kingdom was begun it was inaugurated if you will at the first coming of Christ but it is not yet as it one day will be at the second coming of Christ. Theologians call this already, but not yet. It has already begun in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ through His teaching, through His work on the cross and resurrection from the dead, His ascension to be seated at the right hand of the Father. But it is not yet completed as it one day will be when He comes again and when he comes again and he is coming again the kingdom of god will then be the rule and reign of god when he is once and for all time victorious over all sin and all enemies and when the light of his glory shatters all the darkness and when he is rightly worshiped and obeyed and jesus says seek that long for that Spend your time seeking, pursuing that. His kingdom. More than earthly treasure. More than notoriety. More than even providing for our own needs. Above all things, seek God's kingdom. How? How do we do that? If that's the emphasis here, how then do we do that? We seek God's kingdom, number one, I think, by spending time with God in prayer and in the Word. You're not going to be consumed with the kingdom of God apart from daily communion with God. So pray. You want to kill your worry? You really want to kill it? 
then seek his kingdom by praying. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. There's no way to talk about worry without talking about Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7. Look at these with me. Thinking about seeking the kingdom of God. How do we do that? We're spending time with God in prayer. We're spending time with God in His Word. And watch this in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want to kill worry? Seek God's kingdom and do that by prayer. Are you anxious? Sure you are. Are there worries and cares? Absolutely. Are some of them massive? Looming? Daunting? Gripping? Paralyzing? I know they are. Pray. It is no small thing. It is not the least thing you can do. It is the very best thing you can do. That when you are worried, precious saint, pray. And there's a promise in Philippians that when you pray, God is going to do what? He's going to give you a peace that you simply cannot comprehend. It's not going to make sense. It's going to overrun you in the midst of your worry. He doesn't say that I'm going to take it all away. He says that in the midst of it, I'm going to give you peace and you're not going to be able, you're not going to be able to articulate it. It's just, you're just going to, the, the spirit in you is just going to work that peace into your soul. And then when you pray, when you constantly pray, when you constantly seek, He's going to secondly guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. How do we guard our hearts and our minds against all the what-ifs, all the scenarios, all the late-night pacing? Pray. And when you pray, peace comes and it guards so that you don't have to do that. So that you can sleep at night. So that you can trust that God loves you, sees you, knows you, cares about you, and is going to do something about whatever it is that you're going through spend time with god and his word as you seek after him starve your worry starve your anxiety by feeding your soul the things of the kingdom feed your soul and starve your worry by the word of the kingdom spend time in god's word more on that just a moment but what else Does it look like to seek the kingdom of God? Instead of being consumed by worry, be consumed with evangelizing the lost. Be consumed with making sure that you tell as many people as you can about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because one of the things that worry does is it causes you just to become more and more and more and more and more insular. And you forget the reality that there's a lost and dying world right out there that is waiting on you to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek the kingdom. Take your eyes off of the worry. Put them on the kingdom. 
and seek to bring as many people with you as you can. Serve the Lord in your local church with your spiritual gifts. Take the time that you would spend and worry and use it to serve God's people. Give of your time and give of your money so that the Gospel goes forth. Secondly, in verse 33, he calls us to seek after what? Seek after His righteousness. It's very similar. Very similar idea here. What is righteousness? It is right living that flows out of a right relationship with God. Be consumed with that, Jesus says. Take your eyes off of self, off of your inability, off of all the perplexing situations and seek righteousness. You can only have that righteousness that comes through Christ. And what we mean by that, the Scripture tells us that when Jesus goes to the cross, He takes all of your sin, bears that on His own body, and by God's grace, when you place faith and trust in Christ, you then get all of Christ perfect law-keeping righteousness. You're right now with God. And now as a result of being right with God, you want to live rightly. You can't live rightly enough to be right with God, but once you have been made right with God by the righteousness of Christ, now live that out. Be consumed with that. Let that dominate your thoughts, your cares. How do we seek God's righteousness? Do it again in the Word. Do it in prayer. Read God's Word. Learn God's Word. Know God's Word. Apply God's Word. Pray for the Spirit's help in doing those things. Confess your sin. Put off sin and put on this practical righteousness. Be consumed with knowing God. Communing with God. Growing in the grace and knowledge of God. Growing in sanctification and holiness. Now look back at the end of verse 33. When you do that, what does Jesus say? All these things. What are these things? The food, the water, the clothing. All these things will be added to you. The Gentiles, back in verse 32, the unbelievers, they eagerly seek those things. But here in verse 33, God's children are just given these things. We don't have to toil for them. God will bring them to us church our responsibility is to concern ourselves with god's kingdom and righteousness god's responsibility is to provide for our needs so then trust god to do his part trust god to do his part instead of worry trust god Worry arises when we try to carry God's burden. When we try to do what only God can do. And if you try to pick that burden up, it'll crush you. Because you and I are not made to carry that kind of burden. That's God's. So trust God to do His part as you seek His kingdom. Then lastly, verse 34, trust God with your tomorrows trust God with your tomorrows verse 34 so do not worry about tomorrow tomorrow will care for itself each day 
And I think we feel this in our bones, right? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Tomorrow will care for itself. Tomorrow will care for itself because God is already waiting for you at tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself because God, who is not bound by space and time, is already waiting on you tomorrow. And tomorrow, tomorrow God will be faithful. Tomorrow God will give grace. Tomorrow God will be merciful. Tomorrow God will be faithful. God already sees tomorrow. He already knows tomorrow. He knows what is coming tomorrow and he will bring the one he will be the one that will usher in tomorrow. Tomorrow will come to you through God's gracious hand. So do not worry about tomorrow. You can't do anything about tomorrow. We can barely do anything about today. We certainly can't do anything about what we don't know tomorrow. Each day at the end of verse 34, man, it has enough trouble of its own. Don't be trying to borrow from tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When tomorrow comes, if tomorrow comes, whatever tomorrow's troubles may be, there will be grace and mercy for those troubles. Whatever problems arise, whatever bad news comes, whatever lack there may be, there will be grace and mercy. You don't get tomorrow's grace today. You get tomorrow's grace when you need it. Tomorrow. So trust God for your tomorrows. Just when you need it. How you need it. Where and when you need it. God will give it. J.C. Ryle said this, this only we may be assured of. That if tomorrow brings a cross, He who sends it can and will give grace to bear it. Don't worry about tomorrow. Trust God. Trust your what-ifs to Him. Trust His omniscience. Trust God that He's going to do His part. And trust God with all your tomorrows. And when you do that, you'll find Philippians 4.19 to be so true in your life. And my God shall supply all your needs. He already knows them. He already sees them. He's already anticipated them. And He's already planned their provision for them. So my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I'm so thankful that when God goes to provide, He's not providing from the storehouse of my riches. He's providing from the storehouse of His. And those storehouses are infinite, beloved. You want to be free from worry? I want you to be free from worry. God wants us to be free from worry. The common refrain through these four points is what? Trust God. Trust God. Let's pray together. God, we acknowledge 
that sometimes, if not often, trusting You is so much easier said than done. Father, we confess that So, God, every person in the room is a worrier on some level. And there may be people in the room right now today that they're just racked by it. Oh, God, would you draw near to them? Oh, God, would you help them? Father, would you show them your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness? Would you remind them of what is true? God, help us to be so very consumed with Your kingdom and seeking after righteousness. God, that we just kind of lose sight of our needs. Heavenly Father, help us to respond to You, whether it be now or in the days to come, God, in a way that is honoring and pleasing to You. We ask and pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.